Hear the word of the Lord uh, from Luke 12, uh, verse 13 to 21. Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, he said to him, Who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told them, Watch out and be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, What should I do, since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I'll do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, You have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Thanks be to God. All right, let's get to it. All right, so I'm just going to recap just a little bit kind of what, where we've been uh, this year as far as teaching and, and what we're going to do. So beginning this year, uh, we finished up uh, the book of Romans. Uh, then we, we spent some time uh, in the life of Moses. So we had some selections through Exodus, uh, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And this summer, we've been taking some selections from the book of Luke. And it's been kind of cool. We've been talking about uh, spiritual disciplines, uh, prayer. Um, and, and silence and solitude. And so uh, this is kind of our last little uh, text from this little mini-series in Luke. Um, it's going to talk about the discipline of generosity, obviously. And then next week, we're going to start up. We're going to start going through the book of Mark, okay? Gospel of Mark. So you want to start reading. We're going to go verse by verse through the book of Mark starting next week. Okay. All right. So the great philosopher, Biggie Smalls, once said, more money, more problems. Now, some of y'all know about that. Some of y'all don't. That's okay. That's okay. That's, that's, that's a diverse church. Somebody, Biggie who? Anyway, Biggie Small, he said, more money, more problems. And that's what you kind of see in this text. This man had a lot of money, and his wealth caused him to be sinful. His, his wealth exposed the, what was actually going on in his heart. And Jesus uses this parable, this example, to, to teach us this very important point, that we have to watch out for greed. We have to watch out for greed. And the reality is this, no matter how much or how little you have, every single one of us has to watch out for the sin of greed. We've often talked about how in certain cultures, in certain time periods, particular sins are more acceptable than the others, right? So like if we were living in like, you know, medieval Europe, you know, somebody like takes your cow, you can kill them. This is how it rolled in medieval Europe, all right? That was like one of the acceptable sins. One of the acceptable sins in, in America at this point in time is greed. We don't think anything about accumulating things. We don't hear what the scripture says about the warnings about greed. And so we need to look at them this morning. We all, no matter who we are, where we come from, how much money we got in the bank, or if we ain't got none in the bank, everybody 
has to watch out for grease. Before we get into this text, let's ask the Lord for help. Lord Jesus, would you speak to us through your word, by your spirit? Help us to understand what is written in this text. And Lord, that we would not only understand it, that by the power of the Spirit, you would give us grace to obey what is written. And would you do this all for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we see in verse 13, it says, Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, he said to him, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? That's Jesus, the one talking. Listen, listen, what this verse tells us that we often approach Jesus for selfish reasons. This guy might have thought he was being super spiritual, but the reality is he might have heard about Jesus's teaching on generosity and he was mad because his brother got more money from the inheritance than he did. So that, well, maybe if I come to Jesus and I'll use kind of the stuff that he says about money, maybe I can actually get him to do what I actually want. You can see by the response that Jesus immediately sees right through that. Jesus is not playing games. He understands what's, what's going on. Listen, listen. Maybe, maybe he thought he could use Jesus to get what he wanted, right? In other words, he thought that he could manip- manipulate Jesus. He didn't, listen, he didn't say, hey, Jesus, could you consider talking to my brother? He said, Jesus, tell him. Who, who does he think he is to roll up to the Lord talking about, Jesus, let me tell you what you ought to do. But the reality is, many times that's us. Let me tell you, I, maybe you're not doing your job so well, Jesus, look, look, but I got you, okay? I got you. I, I got the wisdom that you need, so let me tell you what you ought to do. Listen, we have to, to be aware of this because this man, this man in this, this scenario, he was trying to use Jesus to manipulate his brother. Now, what the brother, like, let's say if Jesus was like, yeah, Jesus, the Lord of all creation is like, you should give some money to your brother. He can be like, I guess I have to. Like, he is using Jesus to manipulate others. And we have to be aware of this. That we cannot use God to manipulate those around us. See, we do this when we try to hold people to standards that we ourselves cannot hold. Right? So this man's like, like, hey, Tell him to be generous. And Jesus is like, well, actually, you're not generous. Yeah? So we have to be careful that before we start looking at what others are doing, that we are using the magnifying glass of God's word to look at our own hearts. It's not a telescope to look at other people. It's something that magnifies what's in your own heart. This also means, that, listen, listen very carefully, that we have to discern between universal biblical standards and personal convictions. Let me make it plain. A lot of us have good personal convictions. Maybe you feel convinced by the Spirit that you ought to do this or that. But if it is over and above what the text of Scripture says, then, then you can't make somebody else do it. So, so let's see, we talk about the, the thing about generous. Suppose somebody's like, you know what? I give away 50% of my income. I'm that generous. Therefore, you should now, now their personal conviction, your personal conviction, as good as it may be, as nice and generous as it may be, cannot be the yardstick through which you measure somebody else. It has to be God's word and God's word alone. 
What this is telling us is that we must apply God's word to ourselves first. The hard sayings of Jesus must hit our hearts first. In other words, you cannot preach repentance without modeling repentance. That's why the church has this reputation of hypocrisy. We should not be calling people to do something that we ourselves are not trying to do. The reality is this. Jesus has his own mission, and he will not be a pawn in yours. Jesus is the one that sets the directive for how things should go. That's why he says, who appointed me as judge? It's so funny because, ironically, Jesus is the judge of this man. (laughs) Right? He's the judge of everybody. But he saw three like, no, no, listen, you're trying to make me submit to what you want to do. But that's not how this relationship works. Actually, I'm the one who sets, sets the trajectory. I'm the one that sets the standards. We have to get on his page. So when we come to the text of Scripture, we're not going, I hope I can find something that I can use to do this. No, no, we're saying, God, what are you saying? It's the disposition that matters. It's not like I want to make it say what I want to say. No, God, I'm reading the text of Scripture. What are you saying in it? What did you intend in it? Because, again, we cannot use Jesus to try to manipulate others or for our own personal plans. So Jesus switches gears, starts to tell us parable about being, being aware, be aware of greed. Verse 15, he says, he told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. He discerned that this one question that the man had asked, hey, can you, get, can you make that dude divide his inheritance, that it was motivated by greed. And this is something that's so interesting. Now, maybe nobody in the crowd knew that, but Jesus can perceive and understand the thoughts and intentions of your heart. In Matthew 9, 4, he's talking to the Pharisees, and he, it says, perceiving their hearts, Jesus said, why are you thinking evil things in your heart? He can see right through. There, there's this point in time where, where the disciples are having this conversation about, you know, so, the, so the, somebody comes and breaks the alabaster jar in front, of, in front of Jesus and washes his feet. And Judas is like, well, couldn't we have sold that? And couldn't we have used that to help the poor? And then John 12, 6 says, he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And he was in charge of the money bag and was still part of what was put in it. Jesus sees beyond the pretty speech that we use to cover up our tracks. He sees directly to the heart. That's what he does in this example. That's what he does with us. He goes on to teach that our life is not in the abundance of possessions. The lie of greed is a wrong assessment about what really matters. Being rich does not equate happiness. Say it again. Being rich does not equate happiness. Listen, look, the reality, let's, let's keep it real. We need to have our needs, right? There's a, certain, there's a certain status of having your needs met. Like if you're hungry, you're probably not going to be happy. Okay, there's a certain level like I need to have our needs met. That's, that's why our church is working to serve our community. We want people to have their needs met. But we also need to be on guard against the lie that, that in order for me to be happy, I have to have loads and loads and loads of money. The reality is that that you can look statistically and see that money does not equate to happiness. Why are all the celebrities sad? 
according to our culture, they should be just fine. They got all the money. I mean, let's just keep it 100. Like, they're not, they're not just like a little bit sad. Some of them are they're committing suicide. They're having these, these, these drug overdoses. The, the, the fact of the matter is, lots of money does not automatically equate, I am happy. And Jesus is trying to make sure we understand that. He says that you have to be on guard against greed. The reality is this. Advertisements are propaganda. Now listen. Now there, there was a time when you had to watch TV and commercials came on. Y'all remember that? There's a time when commercials came on. My the kids don't even know what a commercial is. But in the off chance that commercials come on about toys, they be, can I get that one? You didn't even know what that was like two seconds ago. But I need it. No, you don't even, no, you don't. You're fine. The reality is we can see it so clearly with kids, but, but there is advertisements geared to us. No matter how much money you have or what your culture is, there is propaganda just for you. <laughs> Cater just for what you want. Maybe it's I want to go to this exotic place. Maybe I need that fancy shoe. Maybe I need that nice car. Whatever it is, there's propaganda geared toward you. And so Jesus is saying, be on guard about that. Not only that, it's really interesting that we need to understand this, this biblical picture of, of, of the danger of riches. Look at verse 16. It says, then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? What's interesting is if you pay really close attention, it didn't say the rich man was really good at business. It didn't say that the rich man was super wise. It says his land was productive. Like, Jesus is getting credit to the land, not to the person, not to the man. The reality is there is so much providence and so much sovereignty to people's success. If Steve Jobs was born in Iraq, we would, have, we would not have no Apple. You see what I'm saying? The idea is this, is that, 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 that there is so, anybody who is successful, if they point solely to their own accomplishments, their own savviness, how great they are, they do not understand how much providence has been given to them, how much favor that they did not own has been shown to them. It says that, that the land was, you know, if you farm, you plant some corn in South Carolina and you plant some corn in Alaska, there's going to be some differences, right? I don't care how good of a farmer you are. It, ha- like it just so happens to be where you are. Success can blind people to God's grace. And we need to, like, this is reality. Where you were born has so much to do with your success. So that means that everyone has a, has a walk in a bit of humility. Yeah. I was even thinking one day, I was thinking about uh, the success of Amazon. I know, I'm weird. They must have said to me, I was like, why is Amazon so successful? They're so successful because they do delivery stuff so well. Well, the reason they do delivery stuff so well is because our nation's infrastructure is built that way. They can use the highways to get, get there. I don't, if Jeff Bezos was in like Russia right now, I don't know how good that would be going for him. It's, you see what I'm saying? There's a lot of providence in your success. So that means there needs to be a lot of humility. So he had a lot of money, this rich man, he says, he, and, and he didn't even think of using his abundance for generosity. He was like, I got so much, I'm going to help people. Here's the deal. He didn't even think about it for his inheritance. I got so much, I can bless my kids. That was not what he was thinking. He's like, I'm going I'm to I'm just be happy right now. God gives us more so that we can steward it to build his kingdom. 
I want, I want you to listen to this, this quote from Scripture. It's from 1 Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy 6. It's a little lengthy, but I want you to hear it in its entirety. It's 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But listen to this. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You're not going to hear that in a prosperity gospel church, is you? That's, that's straight. I just read some scriptures to you. Let's keep moving. Verse 18. I will do this, he said. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you will have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. We get from these verses that money is not meant for selfish, selfish accumulation. He had, think about this, he had to spend more money to store the money that he had. <laughs> He's like, I, I, I need to tear down, I'm sure his barns are fine. He had to spend more money in order to hold all his money. And this fundamentally was a self-consumed endeavor. It was about him. It was about his enjoyment, his peace. His goal in life was to just enjoy himself, right? And money was a tool to the idolatry of itself. The scripture says that the love of money leads to all types of evil. The reality is it leads to misplaced priorities. I'm just, I, I want to keep it 100, y'all. When I, there are times when money has, I, I've been struggling and I've had to make decisions. I said, hey, employer, I know you want me to work on Sunday, but I've made a commitment. I, 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 need, I need to go to church. And did that, did, that, did that equal me having less money? Yeah. The love of money can, can get misplaced priorities. Not only that, the love of money, it fuels all types of anger. You know, when, when people are, when, if you hear about in our community that there is is some violence. A lot of time that's surrounding some drugs. And some people got mad at one another. And the love of money fueled anger and it fueled murder. Or even think about this, there's such a problem with trafficking of people in our country. That's, that's, not, that's not fundamentally first and foremost about lust. That's about getting more money. And it's fueling all types of, of evil. So Jesus is saying, you need to be on guard against that. We need to think about, okay, so if, it's, if money is not meant for just selfish accumulation, what is it for? What, what, what is it for? The scripture gives us some outlines. First and foremost, the money, you, you get money to provide for your needs. Scripture says the man who doesn't work doesn't eat, right? So you, you work hard to provide for your needs. Secondly, you work hard to provide for your family. Scripture says that the man who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. That's what it says. So, so you, work, you work hard to provide for yourself, you work hard to provide for your family. I'm going to preface the, pre, preface the next part with this verse. It says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. 
for God loves a cheerful, forgive, cheerful giver. So what is money for? One of the reasons for the Christian money, money exists is so that you can help provide for the needs of the church. Part of our partnership covenant, it says, it says that, that our partners take the responsibility and make the commitment to fund the mission of God through our church. Here's reality. Our church, more ministry happens in our church campus than on Sunday. Stuff is going down like every day. And people do weird stuff like, like uh, uh, flush, uh, not toilet paper, that's normal. No, I'm going there. No, I'm going there. No, no, people, people like to get paper towels and flush down the toilet. That seems all cool, but who got to pay for the plumber? <laughs> that's real. And those are risks you get when you say, oh, we're going to use our building to bless the community. So, we, yeah, we're we going to need some money to make sure that we can upkeep our stuff so that we can continue to bless people. That, 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 that the money frees up the pastors and the staff to be able to fulfill the functions of the church while also being able to care for our family. That, that our church consistently helps people with their bills. That there are folks who, who are, are, might be kicked out of their home and our church is able to step in. That costs money. And so we are able, we give so that we can accomplish this mission together. Money is, is meant to be uh, generously blessing others. I, I, I like to brag on my wife because she, she's real quiet. But one of the things that she does, whenever, like when she cooks a meal, almost half of the time she cooks a meal, she cooks way more than we need. And then she puts the other half in the freezer. And so if somebody's hungry, she's like, here you go. She, no, I'm not, I'm not joking. She's planning to be generous with what she has. And one last thing, and now we can move on. What, what is money for? It helps build institutions. And let me explain that. Sometimes the problems in our world are so complex that it's going to take more than you giving $5 to somebody. Okay? So, 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 so like, what are the institutions that we partner with as a church? So, so we partner with a ministry called REACH that exists to help uh, people who have been in juvenile detention center reacclimate into life. Well, that, that, that costs money. Or we think about our schools. Our schools and our community, they get less funding. They get less funding from the, the parents because of where it locates. Well, that, that, that means that our church has to step up and help so that our kids are served. Or you think down the street, there's this thing called the Piedmont Women's Center that helps women facing at-risk pregnancy. Like, are we thinking about, you want, you want to talk about hungry people? Harvest Hope is down the street. Like, we actually can build something with our money that doesn't just exist to serve us. But we can build something that exists to serve others. You see what I'm saying? It would be a lot easier if I told you if you give money, you're going to get a lot of money. But that's not what it's saying, <laughs> okay? It's not meant for just yourself, that you are supposed to be a conduit for God's blessing. You get to verse 20. Jesus is teaching that we have to live life with the knowledge of eternity. In verse 20, it says, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is demanded of you, and the things you have prepared... Whose will they be? In other words, mere accumulation of money does not prepare one for eternity. Jesus says in John 6, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life. Jesus says in, in Matthew 6, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven 
where neither moss nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. In other words, Jesus is indicating this, that what you do with your money indicates what you actually believe, more so than what you say. You want to follow somebody's uh, uh, purpose, follow somebody's ideas, you got to follow the pocketbook. Because our money speaks about what we care about, what we deserve, or not what we deserve, but what we want to honor. And then he goes on in verse 20 and says, This is how it is with one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. We've got to ask ourselves a question. What is the difference between storing up treasures for yourself and treasure for God? What is, what, what is the difference about that? We need to be, be clear about the whole biblical witness. You need to save money, okay? <laughs> you need to save for retirement. Don't be dumb, okay? Let's just keep it 100. But, but what it, are we using our money, our excess money, when we, when we provide it for our needs and we provide it for our family, are we using our money for God and his kingdom versus just mere selfish enjoyment? We all have to ponder the question, how can we be rich towards God? And again, this applies no matter where you fall on the economic scale. You know, there's a story when, when Jesus was, was at the temple and this, this widow gave two pennies. And she just said, this woman has given more than anybody else because they gave out of their excess. But she gave, even though she, she had a need, she gave. Her heart was, a, was one of, uh, of generosity. Now, when we get to this part, we talk about money in church, so sometimes this is awkward. A lot of times people are asking themselves, okay, so you're saying that I'm supposed to, to give money to the church, or how much, this, that, and other. Okay, I, I'm not, this is a really awkward area. Let's just keep it 100. People have abused this in the church. So I'm, I'm going to tell you by way of testimony, okay? When, when me and my wife got married, we looked at the scripture, and we, we said, you know, I don't, it seems that the most consistent thing that we can see in the text is that you tithe. That just, just seems to be what's consistent. And y'all, we was Pope, okay? And we decided to give that 10%. That was the first bill we had. And let me keep it 100 with you. That did not mean we became rich. But I will tell you this. God has always provided for our needs. Over and abundant at times. He has always provided for our needs. The way I think about it is this. So if the Old Testament says tithe, like what does the New Testament say? Well, the Old Testament said you don't murder. And what did Jesus say? Don't be angry. So whatever he's doing with the Old Testament law, he's not making it less. Yeah? Old Testament says don't commit adultery. Jesus says don't even be looking at a woman with lust. Whatever he does, it's not, well, he's, it's not less. Okay? So, so what, I've, what I've found is that God has been so faithful. He's been faithful to our family and our church, our church has been giving 10% away, over 10% away since we exist. And he is, y'all, y'all, look where we at. <laughs> this church is like four, five years old, okay? That don't make no sense. God has been faithful. Not that we got money just spilling out of our pockets, but if we are faithful, if we are honoring God with our money, he is going to supply our needs. As a, a promise in Philippians 4.19, it says, My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This means that we have, a, we have to have a generous disposition because you can't really outgive God. You can't do it. 
It's impossible. Now, I didn't have a good segue in this, but y'all know in every sermon we got to talk about the gospel. So this is that part of the sermon. Okay. The scripture says that Christ became poor so that we could become rich. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Now let's think for a minute. Before Jesus took on flesh, what did he have? It's kind of hard because it's like everything. I mean, like he is, he is, he is in heaven in perfection, holiness, being worshiped. There's this shining glory that exists. He, he is the supreme uh, being above everything else. That's what he had. But what did he lay down? When he came upon this earth, the, the scripture says that he laid down some of the access to his deity. So the God who never hungers got hungry. And the God who never sleeps got sleepy. And the God who needs something became needy. He laid down what he had because of his godness. And he laid down that full access to godness. Not only that, he had perfect honor in heaven. And he came down and what did he receive here? Shame. He had all power, but he dies on the cross in weakness. He has the riches of heaven. And the scripture says that he didn't have a place to lay his head. He traded his life for death. And then what do we gain? Through his death and resurrection, we gain access to God. We gain honor as God's children. We gain the power of the Holy Spirit. We gain the riches of the knowledge of God. And beloved, we gain eternal life. So Jesus is not asking us to do something that he didn't embody. He's not asking us to be generous when he himself was stingy. But he was generous to the uttermost. So what do we do with this? One of the keys, key ways of fighting greed is to seek to live simply. There's a book, you should read, it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And one of the chapters talks about simplicity, and it has some really, like, really concrete things in there. Like this, don't be impulse buying stuff. I, I, have, I have a problem, it's called books. Okay, I like books, and I've had I've had like I look at a book and I'll be about to press the, the clip. I'm like, no, let me chill. I don't need to buy that today. I ain't read the three ones I got. You know what I mean? <laughs> we don't need to impulse buy. We we need to listen. Live by a budget. When when we think about generosity, I feel like we always think about it spontaneously, and that's cool if that happens. But if you don't plan to live generously, you won't. And if you don't plan to fulfill your responsibility, like, what, what is it for? To take care of your needs, take care of your family needs, and to be generous. If you don't budget for generosity, it's not going to accidentally hit you upside the head. And the last thing is, I'll say this, is that you savor what you have. We live in a culture that always wants you to go to the next thing. But he has given us precious gifts if we would just open our eyes. If you would ask yourselves, God, what have you blessed me with? And usually, you know, whether you have a little or not, usually it's not stuff. Usually it's the people. <laughs> like, look, look at what you've blessed me with, Lord. Help me to savor those. Who, help me to savor my family. Help me to savor my church family. Help me to savor all, all these relationships that build me up. If we can create a disposition 
of contentment. That will go a long way in fighting the sin of greed. So all i got to say is this. This parable is called the parable of the rich fool. So Lord, help us not to be rich fools. Yeah? Help us to be wise and heavenly minded with the things that we have been given. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would um, accomplish your work through the word. That you would make us a generous people. That we would not give out of compulsion. We would give cheerfully. That we would be generous to those around us because Christ Jesus was generous with his own life for us. And Father, I pray that you would use our generosity to accomplish things for your kingdom. Would those who are are weak and overlooked and oppressed, would they be helped? Lord God, would we be able to, to, to create systematic change and uplift in our community? Lord, use the little two pennies that we have. Use what we have. And would you multiply it for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.